Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity to come and learn. And Lord, I pray that these people who are here would not just come to learn from us, but would be learning from you and that you would teach them and guide them and instruct them in the garden. So but just bless our time together, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So just as a brief introduction before Joshua takes over here, I, I want to say where we come from in Tennessee, a garden, putting in a garden is an event. You know, you go down to the local co-op in the spring and they say, got your garden in yet? And that means, have you planted your garden for the season? And it usually happens in our area sometime if you're the gambling type, you know, the middle of April, if you're more, if you want to hedge your bets, you wait till the 1st of May and you put out your maters and your squash and, and they do their thing and then they're gone and, and the weeds take over and it's a forlorn patch until the frost kills everything and you look forward to the next spring. Well, what we want to try to convince you today is that your garden can be in year-round. And that doesn't mean if you live in Tennessee, that means if you live in northern Idaho, northern Michigan, British Columbia, Maine. I know people in all those places who are successfully growing year-round. So this is for all of you. Don't think, well, I can't do it where I'm from. So with that introduction, we're going to let Joshua take over here for a bit. Okay, so um, the first thing that we're going to make straight is just what you're going to be growing in the winter. So the goal is not to be keeping the same crops going year-round. Um, People do that, but you're going to deal with having to have heated greenhouses and a whole lot more um, hassle. So we're going to look at what, what crops you're going to be, um, be wanting to grow, the winter hardy crops. And so I've made a list of the crops we grow. A lot of them I've put specific varieties. Um, if we have a specific variety that we really like, a lot of them don't have varieties. So we're just going to go through quick, um, and you can snap pictures or try and write it down. So you got your Brassica family, um, a very cold, hardy. Um, so with the kale, there's Brassica napus, and there's Brassica vol... Okay, Olaracea. Um, and so the napus is what you're going to be wanting to grow in the winter. Um, if you were, if you were up in the main meeting, I guess it was yesterday morning, he was talking about the red Russian kale. That's a, um, a Brassica napis. So there's red Russian, there's white Russian, and there is, um, a Siberian kale. It's a curly kale. Um, and yeah, there's more, but the red and white Russian are the main ones that we grow. And that's for, um, you know, later, well, this time of year, so end of December, January for the, for the winter. We'll do other 
kales that go you know into the cold you know now we'll be finishing off some of our other varieties and the Russian kales will be taking us for the next couple months cabbage cauliflower broccoli kohlrabi Brussels sprouts um, are all other brassicas that we grow root crops are a big thing in the winter carrots I've done um, a large amount of carrots in the last few winters it's been actually a kind of a um, staple crop for our farm and we've kind of been become known for our sweet winter carrots uh, if you haven't grown carrots in the winter it's a is a whole different story and the carrots are absolutely amazing um, once you get a couple hard frosts your carrots are so sweet um, beets salad radishes so the small um, the small radishes, Pink Beauty and uh, French breakfast radishes. Storage radishes keep us, um, you know, for our CSA later in the season, we can harvest them and store them and they'll keep us through the real, real cold months having stuff for the boxes. Turnips, both um, hack rye turnips, which are a gourmet salad turnip and the, the more standard purple top turnip we grow in the winter and rutabaga that's those are the root crops we grow so salad greens um, we grow all of our baby lettuce we grow salanova we talked about that in our um, intensive class on Tuesday but if you weren't there um, it's a it's a head it grows as a head but then you'll cut it um, above the you'll cut the loose leaves so you'll you'll cut the head above the ground you'll get a handful of loose leaves and it will grow again and you'll be able to cut it a couple of times. It takes a little bit of practice to get that cut, you know, what height, because if you cut it a little too low, then you'll actually cut your stem and it won't grow again. Um, so you just kind of have to practice with that. There's four different salanova. So there's butter, butter salanova, there's oak leaf salanova, there's incised and sweet, which are both uh, frilly, um, and there's red and green on bo uh, for both of those. So there's eight different Salanovas that Johnny's has. Um, the butter we have found to be the most cold hardy, but a, sal a mix of just butter is going to be like flat. Like there's nothing to keep um, loft there. So we always will mix in um, one of the curly leaves to be able to have um, some loft in your in your mix. Lettuce, um, head lettuce, we, those are Skyphos and Sylvesta are a red and green butterhead that we grow. Arugula, spinach, and baby kale. So the baby kale, it's actually the same red Russian kale. We just will plant it thick in a bed and then we'll cut it um, and mix it in with our lettuce mix or Sometimes we'll make a braising mix that's, you know, more for people to cook with baby kale and um, some of the baby Asian greens. So with the Asian greens, we've got bok choy, yukina savoy, Chinese cabbage, Tokyo bicana, tot soy, mizuna. A lot of those are, are not um, common, not a lot of people will be familiar with them, but they're great, they're great winter um, greens, all of them are very mild, 
a lot of them, the Tokyo Bicana, Tatsoi, Mizuna, um, we will grow thick as baby and we'll mix that either with our salad greens or with our cooking mix. Um, Yukina Savoy oh. instead of Yukon. <laughs> yeah, Yukina Savoy. Um, and some of the other ones that we grow are mustard. Ruby streak mustard, we'll grow that thick as a um, cut baby green. Claytonia mosh. If you haven't grown or had mosh, it's really good, really um, cold tolerant. Probably one of the most. Um, that's actually in the picture, that's mosh. Minotuna cress, garden cress, um, sorrel. You can do, um, there's some really pretty like red vein sorrel that are beautiful in your, in your salad mixes. So I think that's, that is just an overview on, on the winter crops that we grow. And, you know, when you look at your seed catalogs, they've got um, all of that as far as cold hardy crops. You can see when you're, when you're going through there, what are the cold hardy crops. So we will look at um, protection. Row cover is kind of the basic frost protection that we use. So you will, your row cover, you know, there's different thicknesses. Um, and so there's, and there's also variants of how hot it's been in the day, how much, you know, if you've had sun, um, depending on how much that row cover is going to help you at night when your temperatures get cold, or I mean, you know, they may be cold in the day, but if it's been a sunny day, you've got warmth in your soil, the row cover is going to help hold that in and you're going to get a a um, higher degree of percentage of protection. Um, if it's been cloudy, cold, you know, it's going to be three or four degrees. Additional row covers will increase your protection. Obviously, they'll increase it, but they will um, increase more than the first one. So if your first row cover took you from 20 degrees to 24 degrees, your second row cover will take you more than 28 degrees. That air in between helps insulate, and so your second row cover, you're going to be probably getting closer to that 8 degrees of additional protection. Um, and along the same line, if you have um, two thin row covers, it's going to be more protection than if you had one row cover that was twice as thick because that air in between gives um, more insulation. Um, if it's sunny, you want to uncover because you want your soil to be able to heat up and that's going to help with keeping your temperature through the night. So you want to uncover, especially if you have multiple covers on. If you have one cover on, um, you know, in our area, the winter can be any temperature. So, I mean, right before we left, we had, it was full sun. It was like 75 degrees. It was beautiful. Um, you know, it's this next Sunday, it's like a high of 30 and low of 12. And, you know, it's, it just, it'll be anything. So if it's, if it's um, sunny 
but it's not getting very warm. If I've just got one cover on, I'm probably not going to take the time to pull it off. But if you've got multiple covers on, you want to take them off so that your, your plants will get that sunlight and your ground will warm up. So for, for um, covering, for a lot of the crops, it's good to use a hoop um, to you know, keep from damaging your crop. And we've actually, we actually didn't do it as much this year, um, but I think that probably things, some things could have used it. Um, you know, your lettuces, they're pretty brittle. And if you, especially if you're in an area with wind and stuff, if your cover's over your lettuce and then it's like flapping in the wind, it's just really going to bruise your crop. So there's multiple different options you can use. Um, there's wire hoops that will cover one 30-inch bed. Um, there's, you know, just round hoops. We also have some, like, square ones. There's plastic conduit. Um, so with that, we've, we'll get um, pieces of rebar that are, like, 18 inches long, pound them in the ground six, eight inches, and then you'll put your plastic conduit over that, and then you'll bend it over and put it on your other one. Um, and you can cover two, two beds with that. We used to use that a lot more, um, but we've, we've pretty much totally moved away from those. They, in, if it's really cold, they'll be really brittle. And like, you can just, you know, kind of hit them, bump them, and they'll just crack. Um, and it's also a lot more work because you have to pound in all your rebar and then put them on. So what we use mostly is metal conduit hoops. Ten, yeah, 10 foot, half inch conduit. And then to bend it, there's multiple options. So the bottom right, Johnny's sells quick hoop benders. They sell like three different ones depending on the hoop that you're trying to make. But it's not, I don't know how much they are. They're $60, $70. But you can do, you can see the top there is somebody who marked their bend, put a bunch of screws in, put a block on the outside to keep your conduit from swinging out, and then you can just bend around it. You can do the same thing with like blocks of wood, um, anything like that, and you can make yourself a bender on a, plate, on a piece of plywood that will do just as good a job and be, be less expensive. And then in the top, top right, that's what I was talking about with the, the wire hoops. Okay, and then we will just go look at um, a plastic structure or a plastic covered structure. So there is some significant benefits of that. And this year our farm we were on sabbatical for the, you know, the biblical seven-year sabbatical that my parents took off. And myself and my wife were growing on some separate land, our farm. We've got enough acreage that we were able to grow elsewhere. But we have seven hoop houses that were all resting, and we were outside, and it was it was uh, difficult 
to say the least. Um, and I didn't, I guess I hadn't really realized how much of a benefit it is to have things undercover. So there's different options. It doesn't have to be super expensive, but if you're trying to do it on any kind of marketing scale, I would highly encourage looking into getting, getting some structures. So it heats up your soil and your air when the sun comes out. It doesn't matter what the temperature is outside. It gets very warm in there. And the, the row cover is not going to do that. Even when you have the hoops, to a little extent it does, but not nearly to the extent that plastic will. Um, so you can be well below freezing outside, but if the sun is shining, it'll be really warm in your hoop house. If you live in an area with snow, we don't, we don't really get any snow, but you know, if you've just got row cover out there and you've got a foot of snow, you can't really get to your crops. Um, and so, you know, it gives you accessibility in there. More of a controlled environment. Um, ours, you know, we don't heat them. We don't have any way to heat them. So it's just venting them. So it's not like we can really control it, but much more controlled with the water. And, you know, we can cool them down if it's getting pretty hot, vent them. So it is definitely much more controlled of an environment. And it gives a place that you can work when it's raining. And that was another huge thing that I realized. We had so much rain this fall. Um, and as Dad will share, in the fall, getting stuff planted on time is your biggest biggest challenge and you know your biggest goal like if you're a couple days behind your harvest is going to be weeks behind and it would rain for like a week and then I'd have so much stuff to plant I couldn't get it all in um, and it just really was a um, an issue with that so that's some of the the benefits so then we'll just look at I just have two different I mean you know there's lots of Lots of different um, structures, different orientations you can do. Um, <coughs> caterpillar tunnels are a very cost-effective way to get your crop under cover. And my brother has a booth in the room over here with Farmer's Friends. He sells the caterpillar tunnels. They are... 16 feet wide, I believe, 100 feet long, 14 feet wide, 100 feet long. Um, how tall? They are probably seven feet tall, seven and, a half. seven and a half feet tall. Now, what I would say is if you are, well, in the winter, it's not, in the winter, the, the height doesn't, um, doesn't affect you as much because you're growing most, you're not growing tomatoes and stuff. But he has a, he's got additional um, add-ons and one of them is a 16 inch riser. So you put um, additional 16 inch on all your bows on both sides, takes it up to like nine feet. Um, very nice. If you're in an area with snow, you're gonna want a center, uh, solid center purlin, wind braces, 
Um, he's got he's got lots of different different add-ons, but you're getting that 14 feet by 100 feet covered. Um, base price is like 1,200. Okay, so the Gothic style is a little bit more expensive. Um, should shed snow better, um, and it's got a little bit more of, of height. But check it out there. So you can do different options. They, they are not um, open-end normally. So that one, you can put wiggle wire, and you can have open-end, and you can just um, drape plastic down. Normally, you, you've got like 20, 30 feet of plastic extra on the end. You kind of pull it tight, tie it in a knot, um, and secure it to like a T-post um, at the end. So I don't know. I don't know all the price ranges and everything. You can you can check it out there. I know it's less than it's between twelve and fourteen hundred. Um, our other hoop houses. Okay, and they're also they're also relatively easily movable. I would say with two people, you know, you can put one up. In if you've got if you've got the center purlin, the wind bracing and stuff. Yeah, two hours. If you've got just a basic one with the the nylon center thing, it probably an hour, hour and a half with two people. If you're taking it down, moving it, it's going to take a little bit longer. But they're pretty quick. It stands up pretty well. Um, they just had somebody that had one come down. They claimed it was like 45 mile an hour winds. Um, but I would say they probably didn't have it put up quite right because there's been multiple people that have said they've stood up to, you know, 60 mile an hour winds. Um, I mean, obviously, if you have a tornado come through or something, then you're kind of not really much is going to. But for, for most places, even if it's if it's kind of windy, they're going to they're going to hold up. You're going to want to, you know, if you live in a windy area, you're going to want to buy the reinforcements for it. Yeah, okay, so the, the question was if the main purpose for it is to be easily movable. I would say f for the most part, yeah. Um, also, just getting a really cost-effective coverage. Um, so with, with, the, with a regular hoop house, a bigger hoop house, ours are 40, they 40 by 100. 30 by 100, so twice as wide, same length, um, and, you know, they're going to be sturdier, it's a bigger structure, and they're permanent, you're not going to move them, um, you know, from year to year, they're cemented in and permanent, but your cost is a lot more, um, 10000 for, for a good structure. Um, so to cover with the same, you'd need two caterpillars to cover the same amount of space. So you're talking about the difference between $3,000 and $10,000. I'll admit the big ones are very nice, you know, much easier to work around in, but whether it's worth it, especially when you're starting off 
to put that much into a structure when you could, um, you know, start with with something smaller that it does the same thing. You've got the same the same benefits of the plastic. Durability. Um, the plastic on these, you you know, to vent it, you'll pull up on the on the on the edges, and they've got hooks. Hook them up. When you're moving them around, the plastic is not going to last as long. Okay, yeah, so the, you pull the plastic over your hoops. You put your hoops and pull the plastic over, and then there's a rope system that's, that goes over um, from each hoop. It hooks on at the bottom with a carabiner at each hoop um, and tightens it down. So you've got your ropes tightening your plastic down. Um, and if there's wind, your plastic is going to be shifting under your ropes a little bit. Um, and it's just a little bit more, more uh, wear on the plastic. So your plastic's not going to last as long. I mean, it depends on how much you move it and stuff. It probably is going to last three to five seasons. Um, on, our, on our big hoop houses, the plastic technically is like a five-year plastic. I mean, a lot of ours has been on for probably eight years. I mean, we've got a few that really need to be changed. But, um, and as far as durability, just overall, they're you know they're pretty dur they're they're durable. You just gotta um, you know get them up and tight. If your plastic is not tightened, that's when you end up having issue with the wind and all. You, you can't roll up the sides, but you just, you just pull the sides up and there's hooks that are on the hoop and you just, just hook it up like that. So, you know, if you're, if you're taking the side, if you're putting the sides up every day and down every day, um, you know, it's gonna be, it's gonna take more time than if you had a roll up side. Um, but, if you if you did an end where you could open the end, you know, in the winter, if you open the ends, that's that's all the ventilation you're going to need. Just a couple little things I wanted to mention, as far as those quick hoop benders. You know, they they sell you one that's six feet wide. They'll sell you one that's four feet wide, and then they've got one that's three foot wide. Well, here's the trick. You can buy the three-foot one, and in the instruction manual, which is actually, you can download it off their website, it'll show you how to use that same bender for a three, four, five, six-foot wide one. It's, it's really kind of silly the way they do it. But, and and it, actually, it's better because it's lower. You know, it basically comes like this for a six foot wide one rather than, you know, like this. And, and, ba and the point is you wanna keep your row cover as low to the ground as possible because you're trapping in that ground heat. So just a, a tip and you know, it's the kind of thing you're gonna use to make your hoops and then it's gonna sit there. So if you can work out something and have a few people go together on it, that's a good thing. And then the other thing I would just mention is that, you know, a hoop house, which is what we call, you know, a large unheated structure, is kind of the ultimate goal. 
you know, the caterpillar tunnels are great. They serve their purpose, but eventually people are going to say, you know what, I'd really like just a, a, a hoop house. It's, it's just less, less to worry about and fiddle with. So, and, and then I, one other thing I want to say, you know, there's a lot of companies, if you subscribe to Mother Earth News or whatever, there's all these companies that want to sell you these little home greenhouses and they'll cost you know thousands four or five thousand dollars for a tiny little you know eight by fourteen or something uh, you know if you have the space go for a commercial one you can you know you can get a, a 30 by 50 for roughly five thousand um, dollars and that's a lot of space for a home gardener so, so don't get sucked into all these gimmicks for, for the home gardeners who they think don't know any better. Okay, so timing is almost everything. Th this is just huge. And I'll just tell you, we learn the hard way. And this is the thing that um, I see over and over with people who, who haven't done this for a while. You know, they buy broccoli plants um, in September and, you know, put them out in the garden the end of September. And, you know, I hate to break the news to them, but it's like, you know, those aren't going to do anything. Uh, now, you know, I'm not from the Northwest, so I don't know. They might, but I don't think so. They need to mature um, early on. And then this is another trick that we learned the hard way. Um, you look at the catalogs or you look at the seed packets and I mean this is really confusing I don't know why they do it but the days to maturity for a lot of things is from transplanting not from seeding so your broccoli when it says 75 days to maturity you've got to add another three to four weeks to grow your transplant. So basically what I figured out is anything that is normally transplanted. Now a good catalog, Johnny's usually says, if you read their technical column there, they'll say days to maturity is from direct seeding or days to maturity is from transplanting, but don't get caught by it. Because if you don't figure in those days to grow your transplant, you're, you're never going to make it in the fall. So that's a little trick. And then one other thing I want to just mention, we had some territorial seed catalogs, but they went very quick. Those of you who are in the Northwest, Territorial Seed Company, I think is one of the main ones kind of catering to organic gardeners. They are the only ones that I'm aware of that put out a special catalog for winter growing which is really nice and it gives you a lot of a lot of helpful information in there so that's a great resource for you okay with that introduction the key is you've got to be thinking winter in the heat of summer for us we're planting our Brussels sprouts. We need, to, we need to seed them by the 1st of July at the latest. 
um, that's actually pushing it. That you know that means we've got to get a short days to maturity broccoli, which you know 90 days is a short days to maturity. Uh, sorry, what did I say? Brassica, yeah. 90 day maturity for Brussels sprouts is short. Usually it's like 120 days or something. So, you know, who's thinking about winter the beginning of July? And so that's the mistake you fall into. If you're not intentional on this, you don't plant soon enough. You know, as soon as it starts cooling down in the fall in September, it's like, okay, we need to plant our fall garden. Well, sorry, you missed it for a lot of things, except for like baby stuff. So it's huge. Timing is huge in the fall. In the spring, you have second chances. In the fall, there's no second chances. If you seed your carrots and they don't germinate well, better luck next year, you know. Now, I will say, once you get into protected culture, um, you have a little more leeway. So once you get your hoop house that you dream about for years, um, you can go later into the fall with your seeding. And, and, you know, it's adding, it's basically moving you zones south. Elliot Coleman, I'm going to go ahead and mention this book right now. Elliot Coleman pioneered winter growing. And I shouldn't say that because I think probably the pioneers knew more about winter growing than we did. But he kind of reinvented it. I guess you could say <clears throat> this is really the only book out there that I'm aware of. Of course, it's geared more for market gardeners, but it's got incredible amount of information. We've got some at the Ad Agra booth, but they're going to go quick after this session, so I encourage you to, to make a rush. The Winter Harvest Handbook. He spent years fine-tuning the system, and the beauty of it is it's so simple. A single layer of plastic and a single layer of floating row cover. And you can grow through the winter in northern Michigan. Well, he's in Maine, but I think northern Michigan, he's actually on the coast of Maine. So he's in zone five. What is it here? It's probably zone six or seven. Seven. Yeah, you, you have it good out here. We visited a farm yesterday, actually. We uh, took a little side trip and visited Working Hands Farm. And um, they, grow, they grow all winter outside here. You know, you're, you're fortunate for that. Okay, so have I emphasized that enough? Timing is extremely critical. Now, unfortunately, I'm afraid many of you aren't going to be able to see this well, but this, this chart is something I would just encourage you. This is out of the Winter Harvest Handbook. It's uh, incredibly informative if you study it. So we have, plant. this is planting and harvest dates. Going up is number of days from planting to harvest, and across the bottom is the planting dates. And 
we have a graph for a cold house, and this is the terms Elliot Coleman uses. A cold house is a house with no heat, and then a cool house is a house that's heated to just above freezing. So the important thing that I want you to see is the shape of this curve. And notice that the cool house has the same shape, but not as drastic a curve. So what that tells you, of course, you know plant growth, the, the keys in the winter are light and temperature. And um, so a cool house, by just adding a few degrees, well, depending on what it is outside, but um, just adding a little bit of the heat, just, just keeping it above freezing, shortens that days to maturity dramatically. So this is for a, I don't think it says on here, but I, if I remember correctly, it's for a 40 days to maturity crop. So here, this is August 8. If seeded on August 8, they were harvesting it on September 15. So what is that's Yeah, about 40 days, right? But notice how steep this goes up end of August and September. September is really the key. In fact, for planting lettuce, you know, you would just think, okay, if I want lettuce year-round, I just plant it every week. No, no, that doesn't work. So planting lettuce, and, and Elliot Coleman in his books gets into a lot more detail than we have time to, but in September, you're planting every two days to have the harvest a week apart through the winter. So you just have to change your mentality. You just have to understand the way this curve works. So a 40 days to maturity crop seeded on November 14. I can't even read that. What is that? Is, is March... 23 is that so how long is that a lot more than 40 days um yeah so i i i you know we could go on with that but we'll just leave it there you have to do a little study you have to do a little calculating you've got to do your research you can't just go out there and throw some seeds in the ground so, yeah, we've talked about that. Many winter crops need to be started in the heat of summer. Just a few days difference in seeding in late summer, early fall can mean weeks difference in harvest in the winter. For us in Tennessee, we have figured out that we like to seed our winter carrots, our last seeding of carrots outdoors. This is outdoors um, the third week of September. 20 well maybe i guess it's more like the around uh sept no i'm sorry i not september august third week of august um i you know i did some trials years ago and i felt like august 24 was about as far as i wanted to go when we seeded into the first of october you know those carrots going into the winter were just this big now, of course, if we go earlier, 
then they're going to be real big. You know, most people, most consumers like something a little smaller and more tender. So that, for us, was kind of the sweet spot. But, you know, a week, a week later, and they didn't mature properly. Okay, so some plants can be seeded through the winter. Now, this goes back to the gentleman. I don't know if he left. Okay, there you are. Okay, you were asking about, you know, how do things germinate and stuff. So obviously outside, I would not even think about seeding outside through the winter. But if you have a hoop house, which is going to be keeping that soil, even though it may often go below freezing in there at night, um, usually, especially in this climate, the soil under that row cover is never going to freeze. And so you can germinate a lot of your salad greens and stuff through the winter. And they will just, you know, kind of creep. You know, you go out there every day and it's like, you didn't do anything, <laughs> you know. But they will slowly, slowly come along. Um, but others will never mature if they don't reach maturity in the fall. Specifically, things like heading brassicas, you know, your cabbages, your broccoli, um, cauliflower, those kind of things. You have to get them up to almost totally full maturity before the days start getting really cold. I better keep a track on time here. Okay. The Persephone months. This is a term Elliot Coleman coined. Uh, and, you know, I guess it's from Greek mythology or something. Something we don't know about. But um, anyway, the point is, this is what he's called the time of year when day length goes below 10 hours. And basically plant growth shuts down below 10 hours of light. Now I say basically because that's not totally true and I think people have found out more even since Elliot wrote the Winter Harvest Handbook. If you have that heat, you know, a minimally heated house, or even if you're further south in the country, of course, the Persephone months are much shorter further south in the country, you can get some growth. And that's why we encourage you with the Brassica napus varieties. They keep growing. You know, if you've ever grown kale, most standard curly kales, they'll survive a cold winter, but they don't keep regrowing, you know. You keep harvesting off smaller and smaller leaves and pretty soon it's just this little sprout and it won't die, but it's not producing greens for you. Whereas the napus will keep producing greens. There's one that I would just recommend. Elliot recommended it to me. It's only, and I hate to do this because they're going to run out of seed and then I won't get it, but... Abundant Life Seed Company here in Oregon grows a variety of Brassica napus called Western Front. 
I'm pretty sure I've got that all right. Um, Abundant Life. Are any of you familiar with that company? It's a s small seed company. Uh, that was the, the most winter hardy and got the most winter growth from Elliot's trials. So this is when day lengths, yeah, I've already said all this. Oh, I wanted to ask you, I hope you didn't see that. Who knows when, when the day length goes below 10 hours here? See, this is part of farming and gardening. You get more in tune with nature. November 4 to February 6. So basically, November, December, January, your day length is below 10 hours, which means anything you want to mature, um, you need to have up to... Let's see, I think, yeah, okay. Sorry, I just wanted to check where I was. Um, you need to have almost to maturity by November 1. This is a great little resource from Johnny's, a little winter growing manual. And, and on the next slide, I'll give you the where to look for it. It's actually a little bit hard to find if you don't search for the right keywords. But yeah, it's a PDF you can download off the website. So, so a lot of this is talking about different winter crops, which Joshua has already talked about, but it gives you a little bit of additional information. I'm not sure I totally agree with their three tiers as far as tier one is most reliable, tier two, second most reliable, you know. But anyway, I want you to look at the back page. And again, this, this is uh, approximate because every year is a little bit different depending on the weather. You know, obviously there's cool falls and warm falls and rainy. You know, if, if you have a lot of rainy weather, it could back up your, your days to maturity a little bit. Notice the, the back chart. It's planting dates. Well, there's actually two charts. Planting dates for winter harvest and planting dates for overwintering spring harvest. So, you know, you can grow stuff to be eating on in the winter. But then you also need to be thinking about growing stuff that's not going to mature in the winter but is going to mature in the early spring before stuff that would be planted in the early spring does that make sense so we're still experimenting with some of this you know we've been never been able to have carrots in the spring before um first of may and that's even or maybe end of April, but that's seeded in a hoop house like in January. So this year I seeded um, beginning or first week of November. And those carrots, you know, are about this big. At least I hope they are. Um, they were when I left. <laughs> um, and, and I'm hoping to have them by the beginning of April because that's when our CSA starts. And, you know, people would like carrots in every box. Carrots are a big crop. 
So now, just to complicate this a little more, um, a lot of your biennials, if they get too mature in the fall, rather than like a carrot, rather than finishing maturing in the spring, they're going to just go to seed. Um, the other thing with your Asian greens, they will, when the days start lengthening, for us it's usually in February, they'll just bolt. They'll go to seed. And so it's kind of frustrating when you're, you know, they, anyway, it is what it is. So you just have to understand there's some of these nuances you got to figure out. Now, just understand, you know, we usually think of bolting as a bad thing because lettuce, when it bolts, it gets bitter. But your brassicas, the Asian greens, do not get bitter. So you can take the, the seed, you know, the sprouts, and they're incredible. I think the, the Italians call them rapini, and, and it's wonderful stuff. Anyway, this chart, so I've told you, your last 10-hour day, if you're not from Portland area, you can go online, you know, sunset, sunrise calendars, and figure out when is your 10-hour, your Persephone months, and you just can't count back from there. So I did this for you. Well, we really don't have time. You can do that on your own um, and, and figure out when you should be seeding stuff. But take notes because you might find that, you know, this, they did this in Maine. Of course, um, yeah, you might find it differs a little bit, but it's a good starting point. So to close, I'll just give you, well, I've already talked about the top two. One other thing that I would point you to, and it'll kind of make your head spin when you first see it, because it did for me, but Alan Seiler, and I think he had some help from maybe a few others, has come up with quite an um, uh, exhaustive chart that is on our website, the Adventist Ag website. You go to past conferences, click on 2018 archives, and then Seiler Family Succession Planting Graph. And basically, if you take time to really sit and focus on it, you can figure it out. It's, it's for different zones, so you gotta find your zone, and then it will tell you, depending on the time of year, how many weeks you need to add to the days to maturity for your different crops. Um, so obviously, you know, starting in January, you're adding quite a number of weeks. But then when you get down to April, that's when the packet thinks you're going to be planting those seeds. So that's when the days to maturity is. And then as you start getting later into the fall, you need to, again, start adding more and more weeks. But it's a good place to start. So with that, I'm going to wrap it up. Thank you for your time. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.